I'm Amy, and you're listening to the Creativity Matters Podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters Podcast, creative routines and three things. Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters Podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters Podcast. I am Amy, and this is episode 379 an ordered list. And another week, and into February we go. I was reviewing an article earlier about people who do or don't have an internal monologue, or who do or don't hear their thoughts. Lots of surprise on both sides as people realize that other people do things quite differently inside their heads than they do. It is amazing sometimes what we really still don't know and what we assume based on how we do it, what we assume everyone else does until suddenly you realize it's just not the same across the board. So here we are in February and this morning I spread my journal out for my weekly coffee photo which has morphed most Sundays into a coffee photo that includes my self-portrait from the week before, which really means my self-portrait from the night before. Saturday has become self-portrait day. It's the final day in the week, the way that I am counting these 50 before 50 weeks. Obviously, there are 52 weeks, but it's a 50 before 50 year. So my week ends on Saturday. That's the last day of the week. And so every Saturday, a self-portrait is on the list if it has not already happened. And I have settled into a Saturday routine. So subconsciously, I've given myself this path of using the Sunday morning coffee photo to obliquely or not show the portrait from the day before. And it gives me just this little bit of an incentive to be sure that I get it done on Saturday night. It's a small window of self-accountability that I'm happy to take, but we really don't take windows. Of course, a window is something you look through, you look into or out of, and maybe you open it, but you you don't normally crawl through a window you look through it. So a window of time, it's kind of a strange expression. This week's self-portrait, it feels like a tiny shift in and of itself. First of all, it's bigger, although there have been some that are kind of big, but this one is also bigger. I think they have gradually been getting bigger. And this one is on a page with no words. I have been working these portraits into my notes each week using whatever space is available and fitting it in. And that has been an interesting process. And I like the juxtaposition. I like the fitting in of things. But in this case, the page before had a song that I heard while finishing The Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life. Lorelai cried and so did I. And it struck me so much and so profoundly in the moment that I went scrambling to find the words 
And very uncharacteristically for me, I copied those lyrics into my journal. So I tracked them down, I wrote them in, and then there are a few other notes on that same page. It just didn't invite the portrait. There wasn't enough space. I half-heartedly thought I was going to just do the portrait over top of all of those notes, and that would be its own shift, its own leap. And so I didn't. I just turned the page, a new page, drew the portrait, and then had all the space. And this abstract set of lines, this line work, filled in next to the portrait. It was very satisfying to do. I look at the space left now on the page, which is mostly at the top, negative space surrounding the portrait at the top, and I am not sure I even want to add words. Now, I probably should, because I'm into maximizing space at this point, using as much of the spaces I can, which is good because my aesthetic is fine with that, but it's also really logical and it leads to this really full and chaotic and cluttered kind of sensibility, which I'm also okay with. It's partly why I so respond to people like Linda Berry, but I'm not sure in this case. I'm kind of feeling like I don't want to put a lot of words up there, so I don't know exactly what I will do. I think it probably works better when I fit the portrait into a pre-existing page. Then I don't have to deal with that. If the page is already partially full, then the words are there and I just kind of flow with it and let it go. But when I start with the blank page, I do have that tendency to be a portrait on a page kind of person. There are two more two-page spreads in this journal. I thought there were three, but it looks like there are two. And then this book is full and I keep eyeing those pages. I, in some weeks, would use both of those. Absolutely. In some weeks, I've used two spreads for sure. I keep looking at them because I don't have my next blank yet. I need to get another one to handle the next 19 weeks. It depends on when you hear this. It's one of those weird things in my cart at Amazon. If you're an Amazon shopper, you probably have something like this in your cart. I keep a lot of stuff in my cart, but this blank book has become one of those weird things that the price changes pretty much every time I load the cart and it'll go up a little bit or down a little bit. And I think I missed saving a dollar or two a couple weeks ago. And so now now I'm playing this game of chicken because I keep thinking it's going to come back down and I'm going to catch it at the best possible moment, which is really silly, before I finish the last page in time to get it here. So I think I may have lost my game of chicken because I kind of, it's down to the wire. It really is. I considered ordering something else. I considered using a different book. I'm usually not a real stickler for that, but in this case, because this is a big project, a bigger, a whole unified thing this year, and so the first book is part of it, and then there will be another book, and I'd kind of like them to be the same, I guess, but I did consider something else. Using this sketchbook, it was kind of an accident. I didn't 
go out and specifically pick this. This just happened to be on the shelf. And I had it on the shelf because I bought it for Matthew years ago. And all I can figure at this point is I must have bought two. I must have gotten them on a good deal at some point. That's what I keep thinking. And I think I must have bought two. So that's why this one was sitting there completely brand new and unused. I've looked at others that I could use that are a similar size. When I started this year, I thought this was huge. It's really not all that huge. I keep looking at others in the same size, thinking I could at least keep the size the same and change the actual book, and it wouldn't be that jarring. It wouldn't be that big of a difference. I keep looking at this one set that seems like it would be a good deal and seems like it might be an okay replacement, and you get two of those, but... I read those comments at Amazon. I read them. I look at them. I debate about these things. And enough people have mentioned the texture of the page that I'm a little concerned if I was using watercolor or any kind of wet medium, it might not matter. But people mention it and they say, oh, you can kind of see it in the photo and you kind of can. And I don't know. While a very hard, smooth surface, a very hard, smooth paper doesn't work for all mediums, it's totally fine for ink. And the very smooth moleskine surface in this sketchbook has been somehow quite nice for this project. Reviews at Amazon also suggest that the paper in this book may have changed somewhere along the line. And since I've had the one that I have for a number of years, I don't know where I fall in that production cycle, so I guess I will find out. I might be surprised, but I think it'll be nice to have the year in a set of matched journals. I do think that. I really admit it. I do think that, and the journal itself, it makes me really happy. I flip through it now and again, and it's not that I'm reading every detail I don't even have to read anything in particular, but seeing the illustrations and the fullness and the headlines and little words that pop out that are lettered and the self-portraits, it's just nice. It's comforting. There is this sense that I have captured and held something of this year, even at times when I really think, oh, it's all slipping very fast. When I look back, I see all of this stuff that has happened in this year. So it's very nice to have this. And it is nice that routines fall into place like this, like doing it every Saturday and like using my Sunday photo as its own sort of accountability factor for the portrait. Routines that fall into place to support our creative habits and goals can make all the difference. And It isn't always easy to make them happen, but sometimes they just evolve in this way. They surface, you repeat them enough times, they evolve and you see it and you think, oh, I see the cycle and you go with it. And the more you reinforce it, the more that habit becomes something you can count on and a part of your own personal creative and productivity routine. There are other creative things that I want to work on that are not attached to routine in the same way. Even if I've 
tried to put those kinds of things at least loosely into place and they are not attached to a deadline in the same way and they just don't happen in the same way. They probably have a lower probability of happening. Deadlines are really useful for the same reason, but these sort of simple routines, these casual ones, they're really just in you and about you and if you can hold them and nurture them, they can be very powerful. And you can have these little footholds or little breadcrumbs in a week that you sort of you walk along and you hit these little checkpoints and you do these little things and it helps keep things in the path that you want, helps keep some things present and visual and visible. And it can be a very effective way to move through your days. So tell me three things. After reading the book, tell me three things by Julie Buxbaum last fall, last summer, and then doing that show last year, episode 353. Tell me three things has really stuck with me. It really has. I see it now all the time, but it's become almost a game that I can play or an invitation that I can offer or an invitation that I can take. It works on all these different levels. It's a way to reach across miles and across silences. It's a way to record something in your own journal if you just can't figure out what to write. Tell me three things. Jot down three things. What three things happened today or what three things are really on your mind or what three things do you want to make happen or what three things do you want to change or just tell me three things. Tell me three things about you in this moment, in this day. What do you want me to know? What do I want you to know? It's a formula that is everywhere. So you may be listening and thinking, oh, I know this person that does that, these three things. Well, there are lots of people. It can be three, it can be five, it can be some other arbitrary number. Maybe you're in evens, maybe you're in odds, maybe you're a primes. You probably get lots of emails with this formula, whatever the number might be. And you probably follow people at Instagram who do this. Today is my three things day. Here are three things. You see it. You probably listen to podcasts with this formula. And it's a good formula. It is. It's a good formula for lots of reasons. It really works. I mean, we, in general, we like to count. And we're not talking about counting to a zillion or counting to three or five. We like to count. We like things that feel somehow succinct and somehow maybe contained and containable and knowable and quantifiable, even when they are not succinct. A numbered list has a sense of order to it, even if what it really contains doesn't end up feeling all that ordered within it. It's still ordered by the very nature of the list. It projects order. These footholds sticking out at the front of each sentence that you can grab onto that you can hang on to, that you can scan and find and go ahead and go, okay, I'll start there. Oh, there's the next one. And there's the next one. Three things, five things, pick a number and repeat. It's a good 
formula and it works. I dog sat a week or so ago over Lunar New Year. And when the owner returned, she brought a small bag of goodies. And I didn't do any research. I meant to, I didn't do research to verify what I'm about to say. But what she told me was that it contained three things, because that was a lucky number in that context. And yet, it contained pairs of each thing, which was somehow also important. So really, there were six. But then there was an addition, this non sequitur of sorts, which in and of itself is also a traditional thing that goes in this kind of bag or on the celebration. And so I guess that made seven. But it started out with this, there are three things because three is a lucky number for today. The way we attach ourselves to numbers and attach numbers to tradition, it's fascinating. I love that. I think it's wonderful. The way we can also use numbers as a way to provide easy and relatable structure It's comforting. It can be comforting. I'm not going to tell you 99 things, just three. So you know from the very beginning that you won't be here forever, that you don't have to listen forever. I'm not going to tell you 21, just three. And even if one and two don't strike a chord, the final one might. I realize you're busy. So just three things, just three quick things. Quick is somehow the unspoken word a lot of times. Three quick things. Now maybe it's just one thing. What's the one thing that's making a huge difference for you? But when it's about you, when you want to project and share, three, it's nice. It's nice. So tell me three things. See, I cheated. I've already told you much more, right? But now I'm going to tell you three things. So one, there's your foothold. One, I finished my sketchbook project book, yay, and got it in the mail. This was something on my list. The book was a gift to me last year, and I wasn't sure that I would ever do this project because it sounds kind of crazily selfish, but I'm not big on doing my drawings and then sending off my originals. And partly that's because I don't do five, six, seven drawings a day. If I'm lucky, I do one. And so I don't do enough drawing to make it logical to just send them off. And I also like to have them all together in one place and sort of have my sequences and series. So I might be a little weird about that. But again, I'm going to think that probably... It's probably a divide. Some of you are exactly like me and know just what I mean. And some of you can't at all fathom what would be strange or uncomfortable or awkward or even the slightest bit reluctant about doing your nightly drawing and putting it in the mail. We're all very different about those things, but I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And yet it was a gift. And I just didn't want to waste the value of the gift. So I put it on my list, one of the few projects that I put on the list, and figured I would do this and put my work out there along with, I think there were like 38,000, that's a sort of roundabout number, but about 38,000 people doing or who signed up for this installment of the sketchbook project. So there are hundreds of thousands of people who have participated overall. So 
that was on my list. And I got a little bit of a late start because I kept putting it off last fall. Every time I would think, okay, I should shift now and start these portraits because I assumed it would be portraits. And then I would think, well, I got to figure out the perfect thing to do in this book because when you do this book, it becomes a little bit of its own pressure cooker. You realize you're going to send it off. And I debated about just ink or ink and Copic or something like I did for iCAD or something like I did for Inktober. I went back and forth in my head and then the days ticked away and time wound down and it was due February 1st. So I started right around the new year and turned out that the paper bled in a way I didn't quite expect with the fountain pen ink that I use. And so marker would definitely not have worked the way I would have done it. So that was good to know. I still envisioned doing something different on these pages alongside the portraits. Definitely was going to do portraits and I could see kind of that I was a little bit out of practice with the portraits. And I could see as I warmed up and sort of found my groove back into those It is something that when you keep doing it, you stay really loose with it. Not that my line is loose, but you stay in that groove. And when you bounce around and do a lot of other things, you do get a little bit out of practice, I think. So I felt myself warm up. I did the portraits because of the bleeding. I didn't worry about doing one on every single side. I did one per spread which of course limited what was necessary, but I wanted to go back. I thought I would go back. I still had this idea of filling in that negative space with ink. And I ultimately, the bleeding was a little bit of a concern. I did go back in and add to this book, which if you see it online at some point, check it out as part of the digital collection, you will see very simply handled, but I did turn this book into the what would she say, which is a hashtag I often use because I look at these people and think, what would she say? And I always wonder if a dozen people gave someone a caption or a thought balloon or a dialogue box, what would they put in that? What they look at this person and what do you think she would say? So I did take it that next step. It didn't show that, but I did do it. It did finish before the deadline. They ended up extending the deadline, which was nice, but I felt like I had worked really hard to get it done by the deadline. It was good to go ahead and take it. I dropped it off on the day it was due or had to be postmarked, got it in the mail. I feel good about having done it, felt good about doing it. I was very happy to be doing portraits again. I just, I love the constancy that portraits give me. Nothing else seems to offer that for me. I don't know how to explain it. Well, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I just happen to really love it. And it offers something that no other drawing that I do gives me. So I know that some of you understand that. Some of you really understand that. And so it's done. It's in the mail. And number seven from my list is checked off. It's not the seventh thing I finished, but it was number seven on the list. So all good. Number two, and it is so hard to choose. 
so hard to choose. Some of the things that I feel like might make my one, two, three seem like bigger conversations. They have the essence of story and I keep pulling back from those. So I find it sometimes hard to make the one, two, three. That's probably not a huge surprise. So I'm going to hold off on some of those stories. Maybe they're not bigger. Maybe they really are just a one, two, three, but they feel like they have a little more weight to them than just part of three. They need to be solo. So number two, the 25 million stitches project. And I don't know for sure that I've talked about it on the show. Don't think that I have actually, but I have posted it to Facebook mm, twice And it's a really nice project. I signed up a long time ago. Well, 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 many, many months ago before I made my 50 list for sure. And it is a nice way to get involved in something bigger. If you like to hand sew at all, I hope that you check this out. Each person who participates will hand stitch a panel. You can do it in any way that you want. And you send it in to be incorporated into a larger installation. Each of the stitches represents one of the 25 million refugees in the world. When I first heard about the project, I was exploring Boro and Sashiko on an old flannel shirt and then on random pieces of fabric and really into this whole idea and really wishing I had some really worn out clothes that fit, you have to have it, it has to do both, be worn out and fit, to do some true and authentic feeling borrow. But I definitely explored quite a bit on just random fabric and have some pieces that I plan to work into a quilted piece of my own. If you are familiar with those types of stitching, Boro and Sashiko, you know that Sashiko especially often uses Lots of straight line running stitches, but oftentimes in really controlled patterns, very geometric in many cases, very orderly. Boro, on the other hand, is often related to mending. It's very freeform. Both can be beautiful, and the process of this kind of stitching is very mindful. It's meditative. It's pleasingly slow. And yet you're often stacking multiple stitches at a time on your needle. So it's a slow process overall, but it's also really satisfying to do. The pieces I worked on last fall are definitely very line-based, lots of lines, no real intent and no pattern. And I love it for that. Similar to just filling a page with hatching for me or filling a page with a huge spiral or just drawing lines and filling a page. All of those things can be very soothing and satisfying, and this kind of hand stitching gives you that experience with needle and thread. It is definitely something I want to continue. If you are interested, there are many books on Sashiko, Boro, or Slow Stitching. There are tons of artists at Instagram, of course, that you can follow. You'll also find inspiration in stitch meditation groups. If you hand sew any kind, or have a history of hand sewing like I do, then you'll likely have an affinity for slow stitching. Maybe it's just the right time of your life to come back to this or to try this. You might remember a book that I mentioned, uh, Rebecca Ringquist's Embroidery Workshops, 
a bend the rules primer. And I really was taken with that book. It's so beautifully done. Rebecca is also the force behind a hugely popular embroidery pattern company called drop cloth samplers. And I love to see what people do with her samplers. The samplers are printed and then you can freeform fill them in as you choose. You can drool over the many iterations of these stitched by people and posted at Instagram. I received one for Christmas this year as a gift, the Milky Way Sampler. I had been tempted to ask for it last year for Christmas, and then she closed the shop. She went out on maternity leave. So a whole year later, it was still in my head that I think it would be really cool to try one of these. So I am excited about it. Looking forward to starting that once I clear my plate just a little bit. So needle and thread and lots of options. And of course, lots of people who do these things and who cycle between different approaches through the years. So whether you're just trying out some stitching or coming back around to it, there's a whole world out there of modern stitching. And I probably appreciate the mindfulness of it a lot more now than I would have in the past. And number three, I almost got stuck on number three, but I think I'm just going to go with tea. I'm going to go back to tea. I'm going to keep it really simple with tea. I mentioned that I had stumbled on some new to me teas that were really making tea a fresh contender in my day. And it's true. I saw all kinds of recommendations for teas back in December, and a few of them got such rave reviews that I have been doing some sampling. I saw all these recommendations back when I needed to tell people things I wanted, and so I listed a few teas. I got a few teas. I've tried a few teas, and I'm really happy with these teas. So four of the ones that I'm drinking are Harney and Sons, and that is not a brand that I was familiar with. Seems like a brand everyone else in this group that I'm in knew about. But after good luck with the few that I've tried, I've moved on a bit and I'm really loving them. So the first one I tried was Hot Cinnamon Spice, and it is so good. I was so happy after I bought it. It is warm and cinnamony and sweet and orange and has a beautiful orange bag if you get the bag form and it's really really comforting oh I really like it and then I also have Paris which is a black tea described as fruity black tea with vanilla and caramel flavors and then I have vanilla Comoro a decaf vanilla tea so those are all three really good. And because of that, I went looking and I decided to try Tower of London. That's my newest edition. And I am loving that one. So good. It's a berry flavor and it might be my favorite next to the hot cinnamon spice. It's really good. So the only non Harney incense that I tried over the last few months was Tazo's glazed lemon loaf. And I read so many things about that tea that I thought it was just going to be the only drink I would ever need for the rest of my life. Ultimately, I was a little disappointed, but it has grown on me. I think like 
others. It definitely benefits from a little bit of sweetener, but that's just me. It is growing on me, but those other ones right now, they have my heart and they come in some pretty cool tins too. And there are lots of other varieties. There are lots of interesting ones to try in the Harney and Sons. So that is my tea story. That's my tea story in the moment. Leave me a comment and tell me what your favorites are. I've had other favorites through the years, including Starbucks Joy Tea, usually around December. And then years ago, I guess Tazo's Awake Tea was my go-to for a really long time. So tell me your favorites. I've had some other favorites in the last year or two that kind of go in between there. Mm, an apricot vanilla. That might be a Tazo too. I really, really like that one. And a peach. There are definitely, definitely some similarities, I think, in the ones that I choose now versus maybe back when I was drinking awake. So tell me what you like. And bonus points if you are a Harney and Sons tea drinker and have some recommendations. There are some others I might try as the year unfolds. So I did it. I did it. I feel good about it. One, two, three. I don't think I derailed too mightily anywhere. Just a one, two, three. It's a breather show as February gets underway. That's how I'm thinking about it. Just a little breather. One, two, three. Tell me your three. I am the art. The art is me. So that is it for today. That's it for episode 379. One, two, three. Tell me your three. It's a legitimate thing. You know, if you haven't heard from someone and you want to check in, drop them a message. Say, tell me three things. But you don't have to make it that pressureful either. You can say, okay, hey, how's it going? Here are three things about me. And you tell me three. You know, however that works with your connections and your friends and your relationships, it can be really nice. It's also a wonderful thing to do, like I said, in your journal. So that's it. I'm Amy. You can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. The show notes are available on the creativitymatterspodcast.com website. The music I play is courtesy of Nikolai Heidless. You can find me at Instagram as oamyoamy. Thank you to those of you who support the CMP at Patreon, patreon.com slash creativity matters. I very much appreciate your support. You make it possible for this show to happen for a lot of other people. And that generosity is something that I never take for granted. So I appreciate your support of me and I appreciate the ways in which you also are making things possible for other people. Until next time. Remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. And don't forget to breathe. And I guess we should throw in a word here at the very end. So I don't have any big plan here. I'm going to go with bubblegum. And I have no idea why. But I'm going to go with bubblegum. That's it. Have a good week. <laughs>